0: Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and this episode is QA number 85. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration make electrolyte products that can help you individualize your electrolyte intake to how much sodium you lose in your sweat. Because the individual concentration of sodium in your sweat might vary a lot from uh, between different people competing in endurance events. So when somebody might get away with taking very little or nothing at all, another person might actually need quite a significant amount of sodium to not experience performance detriments or even things like cramping and nausea. You can get an estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat on Precision Hydration's website with the tab Free Hydration Plan. That's a simple quiz consisting of 10 questions that you can answer very easily in a few minutes. And you can get 15% off your order of electrolyte products with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And a couple of recent additions to the Roka lineup of products that I have mentioned before and want to mention again uh, are the wetsuit, the high max buoyancy wetsuit called the Maverick MX, and also the new sunglasses in the Matador style that look really, really slick. So check them out and check any other products out and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now let's get into today's questions. First, we have Edward in Sacramento, California, who writes, Hello, Michael, I have access to a backyard pool that is a bit larger than usual. It is about 12 meters long. I also just received a tether so I can swim in place. Neither is ideal. The tether doesn't feel right for body position and for kicking. It is also even more boring than a trainer or treadmill. Swimming laps has a lot of turning and kickoffs or pushoffs from the wall, but at least I can get a few strokes in with the unimpeded technique. I just do not think I have in it, I have it in me mentally to do the tether or the short laps for an equivalent of a three thousand yard workout. So instead, I've experimented with a short 20-minute swim, alternating between some laps and some tethered swimming in place. If I do that twice a week or the summer, maybe that's enough to be ready to go when gyms reopen and or races resume, hopefully this fall. I also can incorporate some open water swimming, but that is not very convenient as I'd have to drive a long distance for a workout but I can probably work in a couple longer open water swims each month as well. Any thoughts? Appreciated. All right, thank you, Edward. I think what you're saying all makes sense. I generally agree with, with everything there. Given that when you're swimming in your backyard pool, you can only get in a few strokes per length, really, before you have to turn and do another push-off. And alternatively, with the tether, it doesn't perfectly replicate your swimming anyway i think that your goal really should be damage limitation when it comes to losing your swim fitness rather than trying to maintain everything or prevent any losses i think you have to just mentally accept that you are going to lose fitness and be okay with that because most of us in the world are in that same boat anyway and try to just limit do whatever damage limitation that you can and for that purpose, I think short but frequent enough workouts really are the name of the game. So 2 times 20 minutes per week, that will certainly give you some of that damage limitation. Uh, I would suggest that maybe 3 times 20 minutes would be even better for a very small additional time cost. So I would strongly recommend that you consider that definitely try to get to the open water when you can even though i understand that with a long drive it's not very convenient to do that often but when you can try to get in that long swim but with a good amount of quality as well and for that you can actually listen to last week's q and a q and a number 84 where i discussed that uh, in detail and to address your point of not having it in you mentally to do an equivalent 3000 yard workout with the tether or in 12 meter pool uh, that's that's just perfectly normal and i think that uh, that very few of us can and should do that or would do that And really, I don't think that even if you could do that, you're probably not going to get the same equivalent benefits of a normal 3000 yard workout anyway. So it really doesn't even make sense to try to do that unless it's something that you really, really are dying to do, which I think that 0.1% of the triathlon population would have that mindset. So simply what I would advise you is to find the minimal effective dose in terms of duration and intensity and frequency that gives you some semblance of maintenance. It doesn't have to be complete maintenance. It probably won't be complete maintenance, but at least least damage control and not losing all of your fitness, losing your fitness more slowly. And that will help you return to fitness faster when you can go back to proper swim training again, or even racing. And that minimal effective dose it probably consists of pretty short but frequent workouts so again as i said 20 minutes sounds like it could be a uh, fine and you can do a surprising amount actually in 20 minutes hopefully you can include some intensity as well since uh you are uh, since you are naturally compromising on the duration of the workouts but the intensity can then be used as a bit of a weapon there to compensate for some of that and uh depending on your overall commitment to training i would suggest that three swims per week might actually be a significant improvement over just two per week but for a fairly low time investment just to keep that frequency a bit higher so definitely consider that not much more to add besides that good luck edward and i hope that you can get back to normal training soon as i hope that we all can The next question is from Scott in Canada who writes uh, Michael thanks for the continued commitment to your podcast the high quality of information and guests is second to none I have also been training on a customized training plan through scientific triathlon for over a year which has allowed me to train more consistently and has taken my results to a different level thanks to you and coach Lockie for that. My question is about the ammonia smell I experience after some of my long workouts. I know that this has to do with protein being used as an energy source. Is this something that I should be worried about? Is this a sign that I should be changing something in my diet? Is it related to hydration status? If it is diet related, is it something that I should be changing pre-workout or changing in workout nutrition? Or is it perhaps a sign that intensity might be too high? thanks scott all right uh, thank you for your question scott generally speaking as you say although protein and uh, specifically amino acids that are the building blocks of protein are not a main source for energy production they are used and can be used as a substrate to produce energy aerobically through the krebs cycle Uh, so and this applies to certain amino acids in resting conditions, these amino acids can contribute up to 15% of the energy in some cases. But during exercise, this is greatly reduced. And at a maximum, it can reach around 10%. But there would be special conditions. and But you might be hitting those conditions when after your workouts, you smell that ammonia after your long workouts. Usually, though, the proportion of protein used for energy production would be much much lower than 10 percent and we would basically consider it quite negligible but the situation where protein or amino acids can start to contribute in a greater way to energy production is when carbohydrate availability is low and this may happen for a couple of reasons it may be just because of inadequate carbohydrate intake in your normal diet or it may be during prolonged exercise, as you describe it, if you do not adequately replace carbohydrate that you will be using through that workout, and especially if the workout is long but also has intensity to it, this is where it uh, becomes more of a uh, more of a risk factor that 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 can happen. So my first piece of advice is to look at those two factors: your day-to-day nutrition, just the. The overall carbohydrate intake and then your intake of carbohydrate uh, during those long workouts and see if you're managing both of those as well as you should as you should be doing given your training load. Since you're saying that it, this happens in long workouts in particular, I would suggest that you just ensure that you get a little bit more carbohydrate than normal the day before that workout and the morning of that long workout. And also to try to increase our energy intake a bit in the workout itself. That could be just a starting point for experimenting and see if that solves the issue. So as mentioned, then this has to do with uh, low carbohydrate availability. You, your body needs other substrates to use of course it can use fat and fat is abundant in the body but the limitation to fat oxidation might is not the, the substrate availability uh, directly in the body but perhaps the, the substrate availability in the cells themselves and this might be due to transporter proteins or enzymes being uh, something that is one of the adaptations of endurance training There are just tons of factors that go into it. uh, But suffice it to say, it's not as simple as saying that just because everybody has uh, a great amount of energy stored as fat in the body, that all of that fat is available to be oxidized during training. So, that is the reason, uh, mechanistically, that when we are the body, the cells don't find carbohydrate to oxidize. Yes, some of that is going to be replaced by fat, but also there's going to be a bigger emphasis on using some protein for fuel, which generally is not a desirable thing. It really isn't. Uh, So all that being said, it's got something to do with carbohydrate availability, clearly, meaning that it's not really related to intensity to address that specific question. As long as you take care of your carbohydrate availability, you can go really really hard and ammonia won't factor in your training at all uh, you will have many many other signs of too high intensity if you were to end up in a cycle of too high intensity before ammonia and that it really is quite a rare thing to to occur so so it will be something else in most cases like just generally being tired and fatigued. Uh, that being said it's not really a dangerous condition to have that ammonia smell especially not as long as it happens infrequently but it is something you want to avoid just for the sake of getting the best performance out of your training and also to recover to the best of your abilities extended and especially extended and intense training uh, causes muscle damage anyway so After any training session, we're always going to go through some degree of muscle protein synthesis, and for that we need amino acids, and uh, we don't want those amino acids to have been used up as energy. And uh, I should point out that I'm actually not quite sure where the amino acids that we use as fuel uh, in the muscle cells, where they come from. Uh, Are there small amounts of free amino acids lying around in the cell, or in the bloodstream perhaps, or are we actually breaking down protein, functional protein, uh, which would of course be even more detrimental for recovery because not only do you have less amino acids available for muscle protein synthesis or protein synthesis in general, but also you have just broken down quite a bit of your uh, your functional protein. So that would of course uh, prolong the process of recovery. I also want to mention that if this happens very frequently and you actually are taking care of your carbohydrate availability, you feel that that's not an issue, At that point, I would probably talk to a sports physician just to make sure that uh, they would be the person to go to next because that, at least I'm not the person to go to at that point because I can't think of what else it might, might be causing it unless there's some sort of underlying condition perhaps with the kidneys or something like that. So that would be definitely the point where you should talk to your physician. Regarding dehydration, yes i have heard anecdotally that dehydration could lead to a a greater likelihood of experiencing that ammonia smell but again this is just anecdotal and i'm not sure what the exact mechanism for this would be some of the ammonia uh, that is created through as waste products when amino acids are used as energy Mm -hmm. is excreted through sweat so it's possible that it could have to do with your sweat being more concentrated with ammonia if you're dehydrated and not have as much fluid available so definitely i don't think it hurts at all to make sure that you take in adequate fluid that's not definitely not going to harm you but again i'm just speculating here a bit with the mechanisms and and i haven't seen hard evidence on dehydration or fluid intake and and ammonia being being related so, so I would just to summarize, try to target your carbohydrate availability first. And in all probability, that should take care of the issue. Uh, if not, I would definitely consider talking to a sports physician just to make sure that everything is all right. Thanks for your question, Scott, and good luck. And the final question for today is from Ryan in Wales, who writes, Hello, Michael. Great effort with the podcast. After years listening to various ones, yours is now my go-to. As a bit of background I'm a 48 year old triathlete with a cycling background. In 2013 I made a switch to triathlon and competed as a triathlete for a couple of years completing all distances before taking some time out doing a few years of ultra running. I'm now back to triathlon and I've noticed a big drop in heart rate figures over the last three or four years. On my first 20 minute FTP test I averaged 271 watts but only maxed out at 141 beats per minute and that was an all out last minute. In my last 20 minute park run I averaged averaged high 130s for my heart rate and just got up to 141 in the final sprint. I've always had a low heart rate. In my 30s my resting heart rate was sometimes below 30 but normally hovered around 31 or 32 and this transferred to competition. I could rarely get into the 170s despite all-out efforts. I'm aware that a couple of years of ultra running probably lowered my working range of heart rate, but not as low as it is now. I know your max heart rate cannot really be increased, but I feel in my case, I'm not actually seeing the max figure, just a figure my body has got used to going up to. My question is, Although I work to power on the bike, would I benefit from doing sessions to try and increase my max heart rate or just ignore it and focus 100% on power? Likewise, with running, I use perceived effort partly because my heart rate is so low. So should I keep to that, set my zones to the figures or again, add some sessions to try and coax my heart rate up? Thanks, Ryan. All right, Ryan, this is a very interesting question and uh, took some thinking really. But uh, to to sum up I can really only think of two possible explanations for what you're describing. Number 1, it could be that what you are seeing is actually your true max heart rate or close to your true max heart rate for cycling and running respectively. And the second option would be that you could be seeing a depressed heart rate because of overreaching or overtraining or something to that effect. It doesn't sound like overtraining because I think that you would have other symptoms as well, uh, but overreaching comes in many, many shades of gray, so it could have something to do with, with that, even if it's just a, a slight level of overreaching, but if it happens at a chronic level or years and years of long endurance training, especially ultra-endurance training, then that is a potential uh, cause for this i would say both are possible uh it is possible that you are seeing true max heart rate numbers even though they are really really low and also i I definitely agree that it is very very odd that they would have decreased this quickly compared to your 30s given that you could reach 170 or so for your max heart rate and now you can just about crack 140 Generally, it is, it is expected that the average decline in maximum heart rate is about one beat per minute per year. So as for the second, going a little bit deeper into the second option about potentially being a bit overreached, I think that one thing that you should ask yourself is, have you had any proper off-seasons and periods with no or absolutely minimal training in the last few years? I notice personally that quite often my maximum heart rate will decrease through through a season of training but then after my off season two to three weeks off at the end of the season it jumps right back up and the first month of the new season I can reach heart rate values I haven't seen in a year And and I think that a lot of athletes experience this to some extent and I think it's fine it's quite normal the danger is really if you never take a break and your heart rate may end up being just chronically suppressed like that and it take may, may take many more weeks or months or even years in the case of or training especially to get back to normal. For your question about whether it makes sense to do any training, focusing on increasing max heart rate, as you say yourself, you cannot really do that or heart rate max heart rate cannot really be increased. It is what it is and cannot be changed much, except, of course, if it is suppressed, because then it can get back to its normal, to its actual level. But if it is indeed suppressed, the most common reason or the only reason that I'm aware of would really be some sort of chronical overreaching. And if that is the case, then the solution is not training, but resting. And when you say that your years of ultra running will have uh, will have naturally caused the heart rate to uh, get to a lower range. I'm actually not so sure that that should be the that's not what you want to see. I'm sure of that, and I think that it's probable that that happens to many people even though it's not desirable. I still think that in most cases that would be just some sort of chronicle overreaching because actual real effective ultra training even though that's not my main area of expertise but it is very clear that you do need some intensity in there as well it's not just going out and logging long slow distance miles so you should have stimulus to keep your max heart rate up and even without real intense training there's no reason for your max heart rate to accelerate down at that rate unless you're actually suppressing it by by excessive training. So so that's a point that I think that uh, I should I don't want you to think that you have to accept that your ultra running years automatically have to have lowered your heart rate significantly other than the natural decline that you would see with age. So yeah just that's something that I wanted to point out. And regarding your training zones and how to use them. Well, I also tend to prefer to use power on the bike and on the run, either pace or power, for anything that is zone three and above for the bike and the run. So anything that is moderate to high intensity. And in those workouts, I mean I think that heart rate is great and it should be tracked and uh, it can definitely help with analysis. But it's not what I tend to prescribe training with. It's mostly power or power and pace. Even though heart rate can figure figure in sometimes so I'm not it's not an absolute either or proposition sometimes there are heart rate caps for a zone 3 workout or a sweet spot workout etc but it's not the main prescription so so you can definitely get away with just focusing on power and pace in in the disciplines for the moderate to high intensity work for your zone 2 and zone 1 work that's where i think that heart rate is great to use as a primary metric and uh, i would say that as long as you're pretty confident that you are not suffering from that sort of training induced chronic heart rate depression then you can definitely use the heart rates that you got from those recent FTP tests and park runs and set your heart rate zones based on that either just based on a 20 minute average or based on a max heart rate and uh, do go back to last week's Q&A where I go into detail about that and also about using not just necessarily just a single day of heart rate data but actually looking at a few more data points so that was q and a number 84 but uh, yet to answer your question there uh, i don't think that you should you should not train to heart rate for the sake of increasing max heart rate you should follow the same principles of training that you would do otherwise and the principles that i tend to recommend even though it's not the the only uh, way to skin a cat by any means is to use power and pace primarily for those moderate to high-intensity zones and heart rate combined with RPE and power and pace, of course, in those lower-intensity so- zones. So I hope this helps, Ryan. Thank you so much for your question. And that is it for today. Keep sending in questions that you may have to michael at and that's Michael with a K. And remember that the beginner questions and practical application questions And we had uh, some very practical questions today, so really good. Uh, But those questions are just as, if not more important than any other questions, including the technical ones. So please keep sending in those beginner and practical questions as well. I wanted to, before we go, take a quick moment to mention that in recent weeks with the coronavirus and all the consequences of it, uh, we have as a coaching group, uh, sadly, but expectedly lost a few athletes. And we all really hope that that the athletes, that they do get work and financial situations sorted out as well as possible. And also, of course, manage to stay healthy. That is uh, the first priority and most important thing. But uh, if you, as a listener, are looking for a coach at this moment, it does mean that I want to mention that we have slots available, uh, quite a few of them. So definitely don't hesitate to... Check out the coaching page on scientifictraflon.com to get all the information about coaching there. And if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to ask. And if you're interested, also just contact us and we will continue discussing from there. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your order of electrolytes with the promo code DATTIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. That's where you can get 20% off your order of wetsuits, trisuits, swim skins, goggles and high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.